What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Durr, and on today's show, I am joined by Mark Hayes of Matthews Archery. Mark discusses all things concerning the new Matthews V3X, as well as answers some user-submitted questions. It was a really fun conversation, and I look forward to shooting the new V3X myself this year. Before we dive into the conversation with Mark, I have a couple quick housekeeping notes to pass on. Exodus Render Inventory is being onboarded. We are having a Christmas sale right now through Monday, December 13th. So today, Friday, December 10th through Monday, December 13th, you can save 15% site-wide using the code XMAS21. This is a great time to get your hands on an Exodus render at a sweet price. If you plan on getting your loved ones Exodus products for Christmas, please get your orders in before December 16th so we can assure you get it by Christmas. Also, last thing here, I'm extending the review giveaway another week so if you want to get your hands on a full setup to stealth strip your climbing sticks all you have to do is leave me a written review on itunes the winner of that giveaway will be announced on next week's podcast so december 17th i'm gonna announce the winner of the stealth strip giveaway again just leave me a written review on itunes it helps me reach new people and i really appreciate all the support you guys have given me With all that being said, it's time to hear from Mark Hayes of Matthews Archery. Let's go. All right, everyone, I am live again, and today I'm joined by Mark Hayes. Mark is the design engineer manager with Matthews Archery. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Cameron. We're excited to talk about our new product we just launched a week ago now. So, yeah, congrats first off on 30 years in manufacturing. That's a huge milestone for for Matthews. Yeah, thank you. We're it's definitely a cool number. You know, our owner Matt McPherson has been designing compound bows for 50 years. So, you know, that's kind of the number we think about. But Matthews, yeah, hit a big milestone this year at 30. So. Yeah, that's pretty cool. For those that aren't familiar with you, give your give a quick background about what your position is there and how long you've been there and all that. Yeah, sure. So my position is basically in our team is to just support Matt. So Matt is our owner, CEO, and then lead engineer, designer. Started Matthews in 1992 and has, like I said, been designing both for 50 years. And so like what our team's job is to just take load off of him and his team to get things completed, to get ready for production, and also aid in some of the designs of accessories and, and the bows themselves. That's cool. So let's let's dive in. Let's start talking about the new bow. You guys released the Matthews V3X this year. Why don't you dive into some of the specs and the design, design behind it? Yeah, so for the third year in a row, we launched two bows named the same. It is something new for us, but we have found that, you know, the technologies that we're implementing into these bows, people want them in different sizes and configurations. So this year, I feel like we really hit a sweet spot. It's a 29-inch axle-to-axle with a 6-inch brace height. It's going to shoot 340, so it's going to get most performance and a really compact hunting rig, but not sacrificing accuracy. And then for the guys that you know, want a longer bow, have been asking us to do it. 
we have a 33 inch axle to axle and a six and a half inch brace height. The thing about the V3s and the V3X is their riser to axle to axle length is the longest ratio that there has ever been in the industry, let alone just us. And what we have found is traditionally everyone looks at axle to axle numbers and correlates that to stability, forgiveness, all that stuff. But really what it is, is your rigid portion, your riser, how long that is, that's where your stability comes from. And so in the V3 line and the V3X, because they have, they share the same lifeblood is that long riser. So in the 29, for example, I'd like to tell people it's the same riser length as a Halon 32 was. And our, our 33 has a riser longer than some of our target bows. And so like the stability you're getting out of these platforms and that stiff, rigid member of your riser is unparamount. I mean, it is the best shooting bow that we've ever had, best aiming, best shooting, most forgiving, but still not giving up the compact axle to axle where that's what you have to get under your tree arm or that's where you got to duck under stuff or like that, that's the stuff that needs to be compact, but we want to increase that rigid member. So those are the two bows this year. In my opinion, they're super appropriately named. They're the V3Xs. And like I just said, they share the lifeblood of the V3 because that was an award-winning platform. Last year we had a 27 and a 31. It won all kinds of awards. It was by far the best shooting and forgiving bow platform we ever did. So this year our focus was to change some specs on the size to fit a couple of the gaps that we had last year, and then also add three really cool features that actually changed the final bow, the completely set up bow. What are those, uh, what are those features? Yeah, so the, just to list them quick is the bridge lock sight system. Because of the bridge lock, we were able to go design two low pro quivers, and then the SAS, which is a technology I personally have been trying to get on the bows for a couple of years. I think it's a spare tire, let's say, you know, in the field, it's an insurance policy, it weighs half an ounce and you can press your bow or change your strings and cables or make changes in the field with that little string. So those are the three features and, and really what they are is all centered around like the two are balance. We wanna get the center of gravity, all your weight as close to the middle as possible. And so you don't have to offset that as much with a wave kicked out sidebar or, you know, people do all kinds of things, add weight and stuff to the bottom of their bow. We want the bow itself to be as close to center as possible. But what that did for us is, you know, we designed the V3 as a, like we always do as a bare bow. And we try to make the best bare bow possible. What we're doing this year with the V3X is we want that completed bow to feel as good as that bare bow does. When you shoot a bare bow, it's as quiet as it'll ever be. It's as efficient as it'll ever be. And it's as balanced as it'll ever be. Once you start adding stuff on there, you got to make some tweaks. We wanted that complete bow to be quiet, vibration fee and balanced, just like a bare bow. And that was the focus this year for V3X. Yeah, I, I saw when it was released and what it did for me I'm going to definitely be shooting the V3X this year. And I don't, sh I don't carry a quiver on my bow. I have a belt quiver because I never liked attaching my quiver to my bow because one, you had to add a bunch of weight for that mounting bracket. And then two, it just stuck real far out. 
And I always find myself in positions where I hunt on the ground for the most part, or I hunt out of a saddle and I'm a minimalist and I want to be as small and compact as possible. So I always carried a belt quiver because I didn't like having my quiver on my bow. because I didn't want to have to mess with it and take it off. And then the new low pro quiver design, because of that bridge lock technology, I was looking at that and I was like, man, that's almost like, it's barely even there. And then there's actually even a cutout in the hood of the quiver that your limbs roll over. Yeah, it's, it is, it's as tight as it possibly could be. And, you know, we've, in, in history, you've tried to get your quiver as tight as possible, right? But we've never had the opportunity that we had this year because the site is no longer in your way and matched with our integrated rest, there's nothing restricting how tight your arrows can be. So we, we can get it as tight. And just like you were talking about, I don't know if it shows up, but this is what you're talking about here, right? That arc yep. Yep. where the wind actually has to bend around the, the hood of it. That's how tight we wanted it, you know? And I'm, I'm opposite of you, Cameron. Like I, I like a fixed quiver because it's super light and I want my arrows always at hand, but we know that it's pretty split 50, 50. Um, so we wanted the detachable version to be as close as tight as this fixed one as we possibly could. And that's probably the one you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a, it's got a lever here and it can pop off. It's a five arrow quiver and it's, it's darn near as close as the fix. I mean, you're giving up a little bit of space for the mechanism, but really it's still the lowest profile quiver that there's ever been. Yeah. That's something that I'm, I'm very excited about. I have gone and talked to a lot of broadhead companies and I've asked them like, what's the best quiver? And no one seems to like pretty much any of them. Like there's the tight spot quiver and then the Matthews quiver have been like by far the best ones. And then everyone else is like, man, I don't like any of them. And that's why for me, I used like a cheap Amazon belt quiver because I just could not find something that I really like. So that was one of the features that I was like super, super excited about that bridge lock design too, man. Like that's something that you see it and you're like, why hasn't that been done a long time ago? So how talk a little bit about how that came about. Yeah. So Brandon Gann is Matt McPherson's uh, lead tech and assistant. So he works right hand in hand with Matt. And he was the one that walked in my office one day with a prototype of the bridge lock. He had drilled two holes and put two carbon rods in there and, you know, attached it to a little site. And it's super minimalistic, super light, really cool because no longer do you have anything attached to the side. Plus the added benefit is, the risers that we have, especially, and you've seen in other industry or in other competitors too, they're getting really thick. That stiffens the riser. It's really good for the bow, but what that does for the site is the sight bar is way out here. And to get to your housing where it needs to be, your housing has to stick way out here. So you get this cantilevered vibration it, inherently in the site. So like once Brandon moved it to the middle, we were able to move the housing closer. You see how close the housing on my side is to the main body of it there's nothing wagging out here anymore. It's super tight and rigid. And that's one of the reasons why this bow feels so good built up. feels like a bare bow because you don't have stuff hanging out. Same with the quiver. So the, the bridge lock though, as we were thinking about it, it's super important for us to not have the customer have to buy a brand new site. You know, it has got to work with existing sites. So we were looking at, is there any standard? And when we were looking at dovetails, like the dovetails are close standard, but 
there's no standard. I mean, there's so many different shapes and sizes and, you know, it was a big challenge, but the shape that we came up with actually adapts to the majority of sites. And we're really excited about that because if you're shooting a dovetail site right now, the chances are you can take it off your bow and put it right in the bridge lock. That's super important for us. We do believe that the industry is going to adapt and even make better options for this because you don't, like I said, you don't need as much windage. So you could make that shorter. You could have bars that fit even better if you wanted to. There's some companies that are close to working, but don't. They're just a little bit too big that we couldn't accommodate. We know a lot of those brands were working hand in hand with them. They're going to have solutions. So out of the gate, Excel, Spothog, HHA, Option, and uh, TrueGlow, Apex, they all work right out of the gate. There's going to be more coming that will work too. So we're excited to launch those with those guys and get more adapt- compatibility with our bow. Yeah, last week, um, well, actually there today, I, I had the guys from Dialed Archery on to yeah. talk about their new Arxo site. And that's going to be the site that I'm coupling with that. It almost seems like it was made for that riser design. And I know they said that they knew that that was coming. So yeah. that is going to be a, a super slick, um, compatible bow site there. I'm really excited about that. And I'm really excited about that technology. Like I said, when I saw that, I just like popped in my head. I was like, man, that's going to make balancing the bow like so much easier. You're not going to need any additional weight in sidebars. So that, that was really cool. And then you guys released the SAS or stay a field system. I watched the uh, release video and I noticed you said it took like four years to get right. <laughs> what were some of the things that you were struggling with to get it to work with those camps? Yeah. So it wasn't much of a struggle to get it to work. We had it working, but it's just, we want it so easy to use that people can't screw it up. You know, we, we do not want to have someone damage their product because it wasn't designed properly or have to do something that they're not comfortable with. It was really our design intent that if we were ever going to launch it, that it is safe enough for the industry or the consumer base to use. Because although it is an insurance policy only, we want people comfortable in doing it because if they're not comfortable, they're not going to use it. And so it, it is a system where, you know, I've, people might've seen it already, but we have little pegs on our cams here and it, it's just a bowstring um, that attaches. And to press the bow, I, I see it in some of our marketing materials. In my opinion, it is safer than a bow press. What's cool is you impart the force that you need to to press the bow. So the the force that I'm putting in with my hand is exactly the force you need to get that on the peg. And so in a bow press, you're cranking it. You have a mechanical or electrical one. You have no idea how much force that is. I mean, if you barely miss the limb or something, that thing can come flying out. In this system, like I said, you're imparting the force that you need. So you understand how much force is in there. And if you follow the steps, step number one is back out your limbo, it's four turns. That really relieves a ton of pressure on the system. So what I just did there that I have my limbo slowly down, it gets much easier with four turns out. So I just did the string. The other thing is cool is if you're gonna work on the string, you pull the string. If you're gonna work on this cable, you work, you pull this cable and it, it moves that cam. To do the cables, I've seen some people online do it wrong. You have to cross them. You go from the top, to the mm. cable you're working on. And then again, if you work on this one, go from the top here to the bottom, the one you're working on. And that makes sure it fits really easy and goes on and off clean. But, you know, there's 
there's tons of things that could go wrong. This is not a this is not a bow press per se. You can't do everything on the bow, but the things that happen in the field, like I you ding your cam off a rock, like it's on your backpack. I've I've done this several times. It's on my backpack. I slip, boom, the cam hits that thing. Usually it's not that big of a deal, but if you ever curl the burr over that, you would just have to hope that nothing was gonna happen with this. You could pop your string off right now, feel, oh yeah, there is a burr, cut it off with your knife and put your string back on, you know, and you're back in the hunt. You don't have to worry about that maybe cutting your string. Um, your peep, you, you run a broadhead across your peep and you get some frays, you put your extra string on. You know, there's there's things that could happen in the field that, you know, one of the other scenarios is I've been on hunts where I've tagged out early and I've handed my bow to my buddy. You know, with our switch weight mods and now with SAS, I could move the peep up for them. I could change the rest out. You know, there's, it's happen outs. You throw it in your backpack, you forget about it. But if you ever needed it to do something, it's just a really nice insurance policy. Yeah, that's slick. One of the questions that I got from the Matthews forums, I asked if they had any questions for you. And one of them was about that SAS system. I'm, I'm glad you talked about like what could go wrong. And if something were to happen what's the what's the warranty process on that is it pretty easy yeah yeah as long as you're following the instructions and something were to happen we have a lifetime warranty on our products from any defects or anything like that so and usually we have a little grace too if you're honest with us you know like i screwed this up and it's your first time like we, we've done this for dry fires too we don't technically cover dry fires but if a guy's honest with us, it was an accident, we usually help him out. So it's the same policy for that. It's the, it comes with an instruction card and it also comes with a QR code that links you to videos to watch. So I'd recommend if you get it, hit that QR code, watch all those videos, get comfortable with it, try it in your basement, you know, before you go out on a hunt and follow the instructions to a T. Back the limbo out four turns from flush, pull the right cables, get it on, make sure everything's good. It's just like a bow press. I would, I would um, hesitate to say if you've never worked on a bow press before, you've never taken a cable or string off, maybe get used to that. Maybe try to find someone that would teach you all that stuff first. And that's why it's an accessory. That's why it did not come with a bow. We want a little bit of barrier to entry that if you're ready to use that thing, it's, a, it's not a lot of money. It's really affordable, but it is something else to buy with the bow. And we wanted that just to, so people are... Um, thinking about maybe getting educated on how to use it. But if you've ever used a bow press, ever done anything on your bow, like I said before, I think it's safer and easier uh, to do um, than a bow press would be. Yeah, that's a that's a really cool feature. There's been countless times where I've had stuff happen to me and my hunt's over. I actually went to the extent to buy a backup bow and always take it with me rather than having to go to a bow shop or something. I always had another bow in my truck. And if yeah. something happened, I'm like, well, okay, I'll just go buy another bow. But now I don't, I mean, I could just buy that system and an extra set of strings and cables and I'm, I'm well, good to go. Yeah. And you bring up a good point. You know, we hear all kinds of stories and people use ratchet straps or they, <laughs> we've had a guy pull a bow back and stick it between two trees, you know, to hold it. You know, it's, it's those or sticking an wrench in the cam. It's those situations that's like really cringy for us, but they, they did what they had to do to stay in the hunt. You know, yeah. and that in that aspect, it's cool, but we just want, we'd like a safer, easier, well, more well thought out plan for that situation instead of 
someone grabbing the ratchet strap and not knowing how to let it undone because the ratchet strap is like it's easy to press a bow with a ratchet strap, but getting that thing undone, that's you know, yeah, we've a little bit more thought out plan in those situations. Yeah, well, th- thank you for that. <laughs> so if someone's shooting the V3 platform, can they put those V3X cams on that platform and still use that SAS system? Or is that only for the, the V3X? Technically, yeah, Cameron, they could. They would have to purchase the cams and it is pretty expensive, I think, because you have to get everything, you get all the bearings, you get everything with it. So there's quite a bit of cost there, but yes, they actually would fit on the V3 platform, so. Okay, that was another question yeah. from the Matthews forms. The thing um, with that, just to know, is that the strings are both specific. So if you buy a string, it comes for a 29. If they're putting it on a V327, our string's not gonna work and our warranty doesn't cover aftermarket strings. So you have to buy our SAS string, so. Yeah, you could do all that. It'd be outside of our warranty, obviously, but it is possible. Okay, cool. Okay, let's move down here. Okay, I want to talk about the the platform, the V3 platform. As you stated previously, award-winning bow. Like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Just tweak it and make it a little better. What was it about that platform that stood out to you guys that you're like, okay, we don't really need to change this let's just make the accessories better. Let's make a little bit of tweaks to make it better. But like you didn't make an entirely new bow. What was it about the V3 platform that you're like, let's stick with this? Yeah, there's several things. One of the main ones I'll, I already talked about was the riser length axle axle. We think we really believe in that technology and you're actually seeing the industry go that way. And I won't go any deeper than I already have in that, but that's a big reason. But when we design a bow, we start with efficiencies. I know it's a buzzword, not a lot of people um, either understand it or they're tired of hearing it, you know, but for us, that's gold. If, if the bow does not meet our efficiency threshold, we try to fix it, but if it's not getting fixed, we throw it in the trash. And so the V3 was, again, one of the most efficient bows we've ever had. And we're just tooth and nail fighting for every percentage point of efficiency that we can get because every percentage point that we get means one less for you to pull. And so that's, we're talking about how much you have to pull versus how much you get in your arrow. And we design with the best efficiency in the industry. We, bar none, that is where we start. It has to hit that efficiency. The V3 did it phenomenally. And we have a mod system. A lot of guys are going to rotating mods. The thing that I'm going to say for individual mods, I know it's a lot of parts and people kind of, the dealers especially, at first, we're like, I'm gonna have to stock all these mods. However, for the user, I don't know what your drawing is, but mine's 28. I want the most efficiency and performance that I can get at 28. Both rotating mod, I'm not going to, because they designed that at 30 inches, and then I'm gonna sacrifice on the draw force curve. With individual mods, we can draw them perfectly every single time. And so at 28, I'm storing as much energy as physically possible and not sacrificing the efficiency of the bow. So again, all the performance and all the efficiency. So my 28 inch bow is going to be a higher performer than another one that might've been programmed at 30. So that, because the V3 performs so well through all the drawing cycles and the user themselves gets more performance at theirs, that was another reason that we stuck with technology like that. And the last one, 
was the the center guard cable guard last year on V3. That put the crossing cables right in the center of the bow. That means out of the box tune is way faster, way easier. And so that builds confidence. A guy goes on the shop, buys a V3, eyeballs a loop on there, puts a rest, and boom, shoots a bullet hole. That means a lot to me, and that means a lot to him because automatically he's building confidence. He's not standing there in the paper team and fighting it. You know, that, that center guard changed the game a lot on the, the high-low tears, especially out of the box. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I shot that bow. I'm sh- I'm currently shooting a Triax. I shoot that bow so well that I haven't had any reason to change, but I shot the V3, and from the VXR, from the Vertex to the V3, it was the first time that I was like, man, this is it. This is the one that I want. And but like like I said, I was just shooting the triax so well I didn't switch. But this year I am gonna make the switch to the V3X. I want to talk about you mentioned efficiency being the priority when you're designing a Matthews bow. There's like no comparison when it comes to hand shock and when it comes to noise within Matthews bows. Do those come hand in hand with efficiency or are those other priorities? Like when you're designing a bow, you won't sacrifice noise and hand shock. Yeah, and you're on the right track, Cameron. So when you have efficiency, what I'm talking about is efficiency is, so when you store efficiency, that's 100%. You're pulling it back, that's 100% of your energy. When you calculate your arrow, we shoot for about 87 to 88% efficient is what V3 was. With a 350, it gets a little bit more efficient with a heavy arrow, but that is absurdly high in the industry for efficiencies. That means we only have 12% of quote unquote wasted energy. You'll never get 100% energy out of any mechanical system. There's friction, there's sound, there's that's all that stuff is lost in efficiency. But if we're only dealing with 12 and our competitors are dealing with 20%, let's say, right out of the gate, well, we already have less energy that we have to quote unquote absorb. And we have uh, patented technologies for 20 years now that allow us to absorb that. Our homonic damping is number one. I mean, we've had weights in an elastomer style damper for years now. And it, that is a huge contributor to dampening that residual vibration in the bow. So that 12% of energy loss goes right into that damper that absorbs all of it, never gets to your hand. When we added 3D damping, which is that damper getting out in front, we, have, we can take advantage of all three axes of rotation it took that up like on your triax. That was the first year we did that. That took that dampening up just another level. That's what everyone shot a triax and was like, wow. And, and that's why like every year we try to tick that up. With the V3, we had the, the little damper, the Nano 740. That was a damper that is smaller in size, but equal in uh, performance. So like always in engineering, you try to simplify, 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 but you don't want to give up performance. So that was another technology that led to we are known for a pleasant shooting experience and our tagline is elevating the archery experience. And that's all part of it. We want you to shoot and practice because it's enjoyable. It doesn't beat you up. The draw is easy. The shock is, is easy on you. There's bows out there that maybe are lighter and mass weight or do worse job of dampening residual vibration. Those things pound your hand. I mean, when you fire that arrow, it's, it's like someone punched you in your hand. You might not notice the first couple of shots, but you start putting hundreds of shots through the thing, it's going to wear on you, your tendons, your muscles, everything. It doesn't become enjoyable. We want to elevate that experience in everything we do. So everyone says, well, vibration doesn't matter in the woods. 
right? But it does because your experience has been better. You've shot more, you've enjoyed it more, and you're more comfortable with it. So in our opinion, yeah, that it definitely is important, but it goes hand in hand with efficiency. Like if we're not an efficient bow, we're dealing with a lot more energy at first that we have to dampen. We want it as little energy as possible to dampen. And then after that, we have little tips or tricks to work synergistically in the system to get rid of that. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about shooting a Matthews bow. And if I'm ever like getting a hair up my ass and I want to go shoot other bows and I'm like, okay, I'm going to switch this here. And I shoot a competitor's bow and that hand shock, I always tell people, it's like, would you rather hunt with a 12 gauge or a 22? And like in the terms of like shock, I just, that is like what it is for me. And then noise too. the, the noise from a Matthews bow is like you, when you shoot it, like everyone talks about when you're shooting archery, you want it to be a surprise. You want the release to be a surprise. You almost can't even tell the bow went off because of there's no hand shock and it's not loud. And I talked to, some people that shoot other types of bows and that's what they don't like about it is because they don't feel that it's hitting hard or they don't feel like there's a big impact or something like that. And I was like, I would rather not feel that. And then, you know, from your penetration you're getting, or, you know, from your arrow setup, what kind of penetration you're going to get and how hard your arrow is going to hit that, like, you know, that's happening. It's confidence in your system but I would rather not feel that if I didn't have to. So that's one of the, one of the things that I'm like absolutely in love with, with Matthew's engineering and Matthew's bow. So kudos to you guys for that. Okay. I want to go a little bit into, well, I have one more question before I do that. So this is also a question from the Matthew's forums on Facebook with the switch weight technology are the bows still most efficient with those limb pockets maxed out. Or do you, do you sacrifice as much efficiency when you back those out as you used to? So, yeah, and efficiency gets kind of confusing here. So efficiency, you're not really giving up much efficiency. You're giving up performance, though, because of the stored okay. energy. So with the, it is correct with the limbo's all the way down. You're getting the exact curve that we want. This is proprietary. I'm just going to flash it, but you're getting the perfect draw force curve. So exactly what we want. You're storing as much energy as you want, but we're not giving up the feel and the, you know, how we want it to feel good, but we also want to store as much energy as we want. As you start backing those limb bolts out, your draw force curve changes and it changes in a way that you don't store as much energy. And so, uh, yeah, it will be as efficient, but you're not going to store as much energy. Therefore, your performance is going down. I think that's what people are saying that, yes, the bow performance best all the way down and the switch weight is in five pound increments. So it's made to do that. It's made to, so that no matter where you are in the spectrum, you'll be able to max it all the way down. As long as you're okay with a five pound difference. If you're a 70 and you want to go 65, if you want to go 68, you might have to tweak them out. There's thresholds there. You're not giving up much, you know, on a little tweak out of the limbo, but you start taking multiple turns out. Yeah. You're not going to store as much energy. Yeah, sure. Okay. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your personal arrow setup as an engineer mindset. What, what's your arrow setup? How much, how much is your arrow weigh? This might be controversial, Cameron. Oh. I shoot a pretty light setup. 
So efficiency, like I said, is super important for us. When this, <laughs> I'm going to get yelled at online. <laughs> it's true. Penetration is a direct correlator to energy, kinetic energy. I know a lot of there's a lot of talk about momentum and all this stuff, but every test we've ever run in every medium, energy is it. And so, my I have a 385 grain arrow, and that arrow it will is a very fast arrow. Obviously, I shoot 310 feet per second. It's very important for me. And then, in a Matthews bow, as you go up in weight, the efficiency does go up. But again, I told you a number. I told you 88% efficient. You're talking 88.4%, 88.5%. I mean, the difference in energy that you're getting. So we did a test. It was a 400 versus a 600. You went up in energy 3% and lost 27% of your speed, 27% of your trajectory. And so in a Matthews bow that is made to be efficient with a 350, going to a 600, you're only getting a 3% gain in energy and you're losing, like I said, 27% in velocity. And, you know, the worst thing you could do is go somewhere in the middle. A lot of people there, you know, there's a, there's a middle ground. So I don't want to be 350, but I don't want to go 700. I'm going to go right in the middle. Well, you just, you gained 1% and lost 15% of your velocity or trajectory. So that's almost the worst thing. You're getting not the best of both worlds. You're getting the worst of both worlds, in my opinion. So I know I'm stirring the pot here. We're really passionate about it. But I think because we work so hard to get efficient bows at 350 grain arrow, I want mine as fast as possible. I shot two animals this year that it mattered on. My elk, I could only range something at 45. I When he stepped out, I guess I'm at 50. I think he was more like 55 or 60. If I had a heavier arrow, I would have hit the elbow, but I slid right above it and I only lost three inches of my drop because I shot a fast arrow and it went buried all the way through. I shot a mechanical at him and it buried in his offside shoulder. And I was super pumped with the penetration. And so, where, where I think it, the <clears throat> debate comes a lot is if you're starting with a bow with like 78% efficiency with a 350 and you throw a 600 in there, you might gain like a bunch of energy. You might gain 7% energy. And then you're going to be like, yeah, that thing penetrates better because the Ashbury reports are made with a longbow. A longbow is crazy inefficient with a light arrow, crazy inefficient. You don't have any energy. So the heavier you get that arrow, yeah, it's going to, it's going to penetrate way more. Not with modern compounds. No way. Yeah. That, that's a question that I'm, I'm glad I asked you because I do. I talked to another guy that is like the general manager for afflicted broadheads. And he talks about that a lot. And he's like, the Asher reports are great, but with modern compound bows, I think like the high FOC like craze right now, is actually going to hurt people more than they think. And I'm that guy, man. I'm I'm shooting a 550 grain arrow because I'm thinking like I want to blow through that shoulder if I have if I have that shot. I hunt from the ground a lot, so I mainly only hunt whitetails and I'm hunting from the ground a lot. And I have those shot opportunities that are quartered to a lot and head on a lot. And I'm not scared to take those shots. And in my head, I'm thinking it's okay because I have a heavy arrow, but maybe I should uh, do some testing myself on some different setups. And Your broadhead, Cameron, has way more to do with that. 
So I'm not going to sit here and say a mechanical is going to penetrate better than a fixed. Definitely not. I mean, you get a really razor sharp, smaller fixed blade, it will out penetrate mechanical. So then the, the argument is, do I want a really big first hole or do I want two holes? And it could go either way. I, I've shot them both. I understand the argument. I understand the penetration, all that stuff. For me, I do shoot a mechanical mainly because I want to put it where I want it and I want a big entrance hole because in my experience, I've gotten better blood trails that way. And that's super important. Quarter two, and you're going to aim at that deadly bee or whatever, and you want to make sure you can get through there. Yes. I mean, a, a tiny little mechanical is going to get in there. I mean, yeah. a fixed blade is going to get in there. Yeah, that's I'm shooting a fixed blade for that reason. Heavier fixed blade with my the fixed blade I'm shooting has real thick blades. They're they're super tough. So yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. That was gonna be another question I was gonna ask was about IBO ratings and what your thoughts on using a 350 grain arrow for those IBO ratings because the push with high FOC. So I'm glad we kind of talked about that because most people aren't hunting with a 350 grain arrow. And then what happens after the fact when you have a heavier arrow? Yeah, everyone's thinking, okay, you're gonna gain. But what, what you're saying now is definitely opposing that. And I, I personally like the 350 grain arrow because I think it truly shows the performance of the bow. If you're shooting a five grain per pound arrow, you get to see how good performing is. And that that's why it's the gold standard for us because we see what our competitors put out for efficiency ratings. And it's even the worst bow in the world, if you had a 10,000 grain arrow, would be efficient. So it's definitely a mask to show efficiency. I think if we increase that IBO rating, I really do personally like the 350, five grains per pound. Cool. I'm glad I asked that question. I have one more question kind of Matthew's related, Matthew specific. So a lot of guys talk about draw lengths with Matthew's bows, and it's kind of assumed that Matthew's draw lengths are a half inch longer than the true draw length. Is there any truth to that? Definitely not a half inch. There's ATA staters that we take seriously. They give us plus or minus a quarter inch. And we have times that they are a quarter inch longer and they've been that way. So it's, it's been our try to keep it that, um, the same there. So if you're shooting at 28 on a Matthews, we want you to shoot a 28 again. We don't want you to miss that. So yeah, traditionally we've been about a quarter inch long. We have super expensive measuring devices that measure it absolutely perfectly. You know, when you hear and read these things online, they're using a tape measure and a hooter shooter. So yeah. uh, we, <clears throat> we are confident in the numbers that we put out and we, we follow the ATA standards. Yeah. Cool. That I just wanted, I just wanted to um, kind of clear that up because I figured that was going to be your answer, but there's a lot of guys that talk about, and it's like a question that people think they have to think about. And they're like, okay, I'm shooting a Hoyt right now. My draw length's 28, but when I go to a Matthews, I think I have to go down to a 20, 27 and a half. And like, why would that, my, my answer to that is like the same thing. Like, why would that be the case? Like they are designing the most like advanced bows ever. You don't think they can measure 28 <laughs> inches or 28 and a quarter, 28 and a half and whatever it is. So I'm glad I did ask that question to clear, clear that up. Okay. I have one more question. This is one of the most 
received questions that I got when I said I was going to talk to you. And like off air right now, if you don't want to answer this question, you don't have to. <laughs> but <Okay>. so <clears throat> it seems that in recent bows from Matthews, there's like a sweet spot in weight and there's like a four pound four plus or minus weight. Is there any reason why Matthews hasn't dove into the super lightweight bows or gone into like the carbon material? Yeah, there's definitely reasons. So we've made light bows before. We had the helium, you might remember, it was 3.5 pounds aluminum bow. It was at lighter than the current lightest carbon bow at that time. And that bow did super well, but you give up things with light bows. And I think it's evident with one of our competitors this last year, they made their carbon bow heavier than our aluminum bow last year because they were chasing feel. The, the experience is super important to us. We want you to be able to aim well. We want the experience of the aftershot to be good. Those things become harder with a light bow. People say you can put weight where you want it. That's not necessarily true. The, the rigid portion of that riser is super important to the steadiness and the forgiveness of that bow. And when you're aiming on target, that's why you see all those target guys that got pounds of weight hanging off their stabilizers because the, the heaviest bow you can hold is going to be your steadiest. So you're trying to find the threshold in a target situation. You're trying to find the threshold of where is it? Can I get the heaviest without fatiguing myself? So it, right at that line is your sweet spot. So in a hunting bow, you know, we understand that you don't want to carry a heavy bow around. And we've done things to make sure that that bow is not overly heavy. We've had five plus pound bows in the past that could get slightly heavy especially we don't want a top heavy bow. So we want to make sure that weight is in a good spot, but we're not going to give up a, the performance and the strength of the bow and also the overall feel and experience. Cause it means so much to us that that bow shoots as good and makes you comfortable and makes you want to go shoot it. So yeah, there's definitely a sweet spot. Materials are something that us as an engineering team are always on top of. We understand those materials. We actually, we do a ton of carbon fiber. I don't know if a lot of people know, but we own McPherson guitars. One of their, they're super high-end wood guitars, but our best running line right now is our carbon fiber guitars. We know a lot about carbon fiber. We do it every single day. And so there's, and there's reasons why we haven't made a bow out of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's one of those things. We at Exodus talk about this a lot, and it's kind of like the marketing buzzword. It's yeah. like you have a carbon bow and everyone's like, oh man, that thing's going to be sweet. But like you said, there's carbon bows that are heavier than the Matthews platform now. So I think, I think it's one of those things that people see it and it's flashy and it's pretty and they think it matters. And in reality, it's like you said, it's all about where the weight is and how that bow feels to you. I yeah, think it's, I'll, I'll give you the dirty secret too on carbon bows. If you pick up a V3X and you pick up another one, they're exactly the same. The material in that riser is exactly the same, cut exactly the same. When you are hand laying up carbon and you have different epoxy levels and you have different gaps and you have different, the risers bend differently. So your carbon bow, it might be the same model as mine, is gonna tune completely different, it's gonna bend completely different, it's gonna vibrate different. And that's not acceptable to us at the moment. So if we ever did something with it, we would make sure that that stuff wouldn't happen. Sure, yeah. I like, I, I like, I'm guilty of this because I'm a saddle hunter and I'm like, I hunt on the ground or I'm in the saddle and I'm always trying to shave those ounces, you know, but there are certain things that I 
am not going to sacrifice with weight. And my goal with the podcast that I have, I talked about it on every episode that I'm breaking down someone's gear and what they're using is efficiency. And it's all, that's how I preach your gear setups as well. And it's like Matthews is on the same page with how they're building their bows. It's more, it's about efficiency. If you start shaving weight or something, you're going to sacrifice. So Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I'm on the same page there. I like the mindset. Yeah. I think that pretty much, Oh, I actually have one personal selfish question. What, what do you, what was your feeling on the wood grip handle wood grips? Oh, so the history, I love the history of the wood grip. So Matt before Matthews had great grips. They made grips for, there's a company called great grips. They made grips for every bow manufacturer in the country. And so and Matt was the best at, you know, they'd all sit around a bucket and after it was cut on a handmade machine that he made, it was a copy carver. They'd sit on buckets and hand sand them perfectly and throw them in a bucket. He, Matt was always the fastest. He loved feeding people. So I love the history. I'm a woodworker myself. I love wood grips, but there comes a point where we can make a better one with a composite material. And that's what happened kind of slowly. You know, we always had a wood grip option but when we went to the engage grip we actually changed the interface of the bow for the first time in 26 years when we did that in the verdict so that interface changed and we needed a composite grip to fit that and to do everything that we wanted it to do so on our wood bows or on our camo bows you can still get a wood inlay it's kind of just a head nod to that old thing but we feel like the composite thin grip that we have right now is probably the best grip we've ever had but I still have a switchback from way back that it's got that big bulbous, you know, wood grip and it, it feels awesome. Yeah. I can't tell you if I'm torquing it like crazy. I'm not am, but it, <laughs> it feels good. <laughs> yeah. I, I put a wood grip on my triax, so I'm still shooting a wood grip today. I, yeah. I, I love it. I got these small stubby fat hands and I just feel like it just feels real good. In there, it feels so. great. It yeah. Always, yeah. And it, like I said, I love the history of it. So cool. All right. So I'm going to wrap things up here. I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to us today. If anyone has any questions or wants to learn more about what you guys have going on with the V3X, where do you want to send the traffic to? Yeah, our website's definitely the best place to start, matthewsinc.com, but we're super active on all social media platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, especially, and YouTube uh, is where we post all the videos, but all that stuff can be found on our website, matthewsinc.com. Cool. All right, Mark, thank you. I'll let you get on with your day. Thanks, Cameron.